Hometown Ghost Stories contains serious and often distressing events and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. This week on Hometown Ghost Stories, the Isles of Shoals sit just a few miles off the coast of Maine. The beautiful scenery attracted people of every walk of life, which also included pirates. The infamous Blackbeard is said to have frequented the tavern on one of these isles and to have left more than one precious thing behind. Pirates weren't the only people with questionable character to stop in on the Isles. In 1873, Smutty Nose Island would be the scene of a vicious axe murder. The victim and the killer himself are said to still roam the island. Lauren tried to get comfortable in the sleeping bag. She had been tossing and turning for hours on the beach, listening to the waves crash against the sand. She thought taking this dare on would be exciting, but after the first hour had passed, she was bored to tears and couldn't fall asleep. Being from a small close-by New Hampshire town, she and all her friends had heard about the hauntings on the island. They were out on a boat talking about them, and Lauren said there's no way that they could be real. This quickly turned into her friends challenging her to stay overnight on Lunging Island by herself. Not the type to turn down a good challenge, she agreed, and they went back into town to get her some gear for the evening. Now here she was, rummaging through her rapidly depleting stash of snacks to grab a flashlight and read some more of her book. She ripped open a bag of chips during a chapter break. As she lifted the flashlight back up, it died. Surprised that she had just put brand new batteries in it that day, she reached for her bag to grab the backup flashlight. That's when she heard a noise that she hadn't heard all night. She listened closely. It sounded like somebody digging with a shovel. She tried to get a good read on where it was coming from. Once she thought she had it pinpointed, she looked in that direction. Her mouth dropped. In the faint moonlight, she swore she could see the shadow of a man digging in the sand. She quickly reached back into her bag and found the backup flashlight. She turned it on and shined it in the direction of the man. Nothing. And the digging had stopped. She got up and walked towards the area. She stood on the sand looking around for any trace of the figure she had just saw. Again, nothing. Just as she was about to head back to her sleeping bag, the new flashlight also died on her. She hit it a few times to try to get it to turn back on. But it was no use. Then, Lauren looked over her shoulder to the left and saw what she thought was a woman not ten feet away from her. Where did she come from? Lauren was frozen. She tried and couldn't get herself to move at all. Standing in fear, she closed her eyes as her heart raced faster than it ever has. Then she felt someone standing directly behind her, breathing on the back of her neck. A hand grabbed her shoulder and then an arm extended over her other one with a finger pointing towards the sea. And then the cloaked woman whispered in Lauren's ear, He will come back. I'm Rob Coakley, and this is Hometown Ghost Stories, The Isles of Shoals, New Hampshire and Maine.
The Isles of Shoals is located about seven miles off the coast of the mainland and consists of nine islands, four of them belonging to New Hampshire and the other five belonging to Maine. They have a history dating back about 400 years between being prominent in the fishing industry at one point, a place to vacation to, and even a place for pirates to lay low for a while. Philip Babb arrived on Appledore Island sometime around the early 1660s. He quickly became the constable, innkeeper, and butcher of the small island, and was hated by many of the other residents as it is said he was to be unpleasant and cruel. Most believed that he was a pirate that had come to the island to live out his days without being discovered for his past crimes. He would often be seen walking around town in his butcher's frock, wielding his large knife. Phillips would pass in 1671 and be buried in a family plot on the island, yet it's believed he's not remained resting in peace. One night, a man who lived on the island emerged from his work shack. He saw a figure start running towards him. At first, he thought it was one of his friends, but as the man got closer, he saw the black sunken eyes of the person as they reached for a large knife. The terrified man ran back to his home, never looking back. Another man who lived on the island was walking around Bab's Cove one evening. This particular cove is, of course, named after Philip. Once again, the figure of a man with black sunken eyes appeared. This time, the man stood his ground and yelled at the figure. The figure wearing a butcher's frock started heading towards the man before disappearing into the night. Blackbeard was one of the pirates that is believed to have frequented the Isles of Shoals. He would come to the islands to lay low and enjoy the tavern. He enjoyed the Isles so much that he had his honeymoon with his 15th wife on the Isles. During the honeymoon, it's believed that he hid some of his stolen treasure in coves throughout the island. He told his new wife to stay on the Isles and watch over their treasure, and he'd return shortly to collect her and the golden jewels. But that day would never come. Off the coast of North Carolina, Blackbeard's ship was ambushed by Captain Maynard. A massive and bloody battle would ensue, and by the end, Blackbeard would lay dead with five shots in his body and over 20 sword slashes. Maynard would then remove Blackbeard's head from his body, throwing the rest of the body into the murky water and fixing the head onto the front of his ship. And as legend has it, upon hitting the water, Blackbeard's body would swim around the ship three times before sinking into the ocean. The news would never make it back to the bride on Lunger Island, and she waited for years for Blackbeard's return. She would pass away many years later, having never left the Isles. Since that time, the ghost of Blackbeard has been seen digging around the island, looking for the treasure he left behind. His bride has also been seen wandering the isles. She's mostly been seen on Lunger Island. There's been multiple reports of a cloaked woman in white staring at the ocean at night and in the day and saying, he will come back before suddenly disappearing. The most frightening history of the Isles took place on Smutty Nose Island. Lewis Wagner was trying to find his place in the world when he ended up on Smutty Nose Island and met John Hauntvet and his wife Marin. John would hire Lewis to help him with his fishing business and made sure that Lewis not only had work, but a place to stay and eat for the next two years. After this time, Lewis would try to make a go of it on his own, and the Hauntvet's home was growing, with some of their siblings moving in with their spouses. Lewis's solo effort would go extremely poorly as the fishing boat he was working on would shipwreck 
and after that he was barely able to make enough to survive. Desperate, he would make the decision to rob the family that had taken him in for two years. On March 5th, the men of the Hauntvets would go to the mainland to retrieve bait for fishing. Lewis was at the dock to help the men tie up the boat. He asked John if they'd be returning home that evening. Now John found this a little strange, but told them if they got all their supplies before dark, they would. When he found out the men's supplies didn't come in in time, Lewis would spring his plan into action. He stole a rowboat and rowed the 12 miles to the island at night, a task only a skilled oarsman would be able to accomplish. At the house, Marin and her sisters, Aneth and Karen, decided around 10 p.m. the men wouldn't be making it home and went to bed. Lewis tried to slip quietly into the house, but the family dog started barking. This woke Karen from her sleep. Marin yelled down to her sister to see if everything was okay, and Lewis swiftly grabbed a chair and started beating Karen with it. Karen began to scream, and Marin couldn't get out of the bedroom. Marin fought like hell and pulled her sister into the room after managing to lock Lewis out. Aneth had jumped out the window, not knowing that Lewis had gone around the front and grabbed an axe to chase her. She ran down the beach of the island, trying to get away, even though there was nowhere to go. Lewis would eventually catch up to her, push her down, and then drive the blade of the axe through her skull. Meanwhile, back at the house, Marin was panicking, knowing that he would come back. She tried to get Karen to run, but she couldn't move, and all she would tell her is she was too tired. Marin realized that she wouldn't be able to save her sister, so quietly her and the dog snuck out of the house and went and hid in a cove while Lewis returned with the axe and finished off her sister. Lewis would leave the house and look for Marin, leaving bloody footprints all over the island. Knowing he was running out of time to get out of there before morning, he would return to the house. While in the house, he would brew himself a pot of coffee, make himself a small meal, and steal the only $15 that was on the property. Meanwhile, Marin was surviving barely by hiding and not dying of hypothermia. She waited until 8 a.m. and started screaming for help when she saw people on an adjoining island. Later, she would identify the killer as Lewis, and he would be captured almost immediately. He was put on trial and sentenced to death. He would briefly escape prison, but was quickly caught. And months after the murders, he would be hanged for his crimes. Since then, the house has been torn down and only the foundation stands, but people have still heard and seen things from all that are involved. Around the foundation, it is believed that Karen moves things left there from time to time. On the beach, people have captured EVPs of what sounds like a woman saying Lewis, believing that this is Aneth. Near the cove that Marin hid out at, people have reported hearing a blood-curdling scream, only to find no one there. Others have reported feeling a dark presence stalking the island. Equipment often dying, angry-sounding EVPs, and the smell of coffee have all been reported. Some people believe that Lewis isn't there to be malicious, but yet to atone for his horrible actions in the afterlife. We'd like to thank this month's patrons, Seth W., Andrew W., Sarah R., Stephen V., and Kasher.
ladies and gentlemen, welcome into episode number 25 of Hometown Ghost Stories. I'm Jesse Wilkins. I'm joined by Rob Coakley. What's up, Rob? What's going on, everybody? And we're also joined by Dave. How are you, Dave? What's going on? I'm good. Very good, very good. So that was uh, the Isles of Shoals. So it splits like right between New Hampshire and, and uh, Maine. I saw a map where it kind of divides right through the middle. So you can't really call it either one. It's kind of on both. Yeah, it's like I, I said it at the thing. It's like four on one of them and five or the other or something like that. So, But it's it's a place that I – we live in Massachusetts. We live so close to it. and I have never even heard of the Isles of Shoals, to be honest with you. So I found all of these stories pretty interesting. Uh, they were, and there, there's a lot of them, as you had mentioned uh, in your live TikTok. There was a few before. Uh, Dave, will you take a look at that Facebook feed? Cast just to go shut down on Facebook, but I don't really know how to fix the Facebook feed. So if it's gone on Facebook, I apologize to our Facebook viewers, but uh, we're back here. So uh, this is episode number 25, Hometown Ghost Stories. As we have said before, if you guys want to Facebook's support good. the show. Facebook's good? Very good. Uh, if you want to support the show, just try to leave us a review on iTunes, and then at the end of the show, we usually read a few of them out. So that's how we can do it. So Rob... Tell me about these aisles, these aisles yeah. of shoals. So there are a lot of stories for the Isles of Shoals. There's a bunch of, there's small islands too. If you were watching the video um, for our, for our audio listeners, I put a video of Smutty Nose Island at the end of when I was talking about the, about the ax murder case. And from where you see the building, that's where the foundation for the house is. And then you see the, the boat pan, uh, down the side of the island and it's so small. So you're like, how did this woman actually get away from this ax murder was uh, one of the things. And we'll get to the ax murder case later, but my main point, most of these islands are very tiny and they're not lived on. No, you're right. They are. And the, the one that if we talk about uh Fozzie, yeah, we'll, to Fozzie <laughs> shit. We'll, we'll get into that a little bit later too. But the, um, the, Island in particular that you talked about with the Blackbeard story where he supposedly hid or buried his treasure. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was looking into it a bit and there's like no sand. So I don't know where he would have dug it. And I, I'm sure people would have gone there and tried to find it. I don't know if it ever got discovered by like some of Blackbeard's former crew or someone that knew where it was or if the wife had moved it in the many years that she sat on the island waiting. Um, but it's apparently it's pretty much like all rocks. So whether there's rocks that you move in a kind of hidden cave or something somewhere on that island. This is presuming that the it's just a typical, it's almost like a trope that pirates buried treasure in the sand. Like it's it's like a they buried treasure in basements of buildings and under, you know, in structures and whatnot. It wasn't always just in the sand on the beach like you see in the movies. It's actually a pretty bad idea to bury it anywhere close to the water because the, yeah, water, the right. ocean's just going to take it away at some point. So it's... Uh, yeah, you got to be careful doing that, obviously. So, and well, also, it. like over the years, you got to think that, you know, some guys are people have obviously hit that island with metal detectors and ground penetrating radar. Just, to, I mean, if if he buried treasure there, it's worth millions today. Yeah, and so, there's a, a couple variations of that tale as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most common variation is that it was Blackbeard with his fifteenth wife that went there. But I've also seen it told as Captain Kidd. Um, being the pirate that went there, but from from most of the lore and the books from that predate us and have been around for a long time, it generally goes back to being Blackbeard that went to this island, and it was his thirteenth to fifteenth wife. We're not exactly sure which one. Uh, so it's it's just an interesting story, and it just makes you believe that the story is so prominent in the area that 
it might not be completely fabricated. Maybe the pirate did get switched up. Maybe it wasn't Blackbeard. Maybe it was another pirate. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's uh, definitely Fender, a great Fender Fender in the comments here. He said, uh, the idea of burying, burying treasure came from Captain Kidd, who buried treasure for a day or so just to hide it from authorities. So maybe he was hidden there briefly. Hiding it from the IRS. Right. Well, and he was basically... <laughs> But if I mean if this if the tale is true, he buried it there and left his wife there. So who's to say the wife didn't move it? You know, she needed something to do in all that time that she was waiting around. I know. Never, never come back. back. Yeah. Uh, so this is one of the few locations that Blackbeard is supposed to haunt around the United States. Um, and Man we'll gets get, around. He did get around. So we'll get into more of those in the future. But uh, New England was a, a place that he frequented, uh, and uh, obviously the Isles of Shores was one of them. And then also, if you go down to, I mean, we'll get into more. We plan on doing more things on on Blackbeard and other pirate uh, ghost stories in the future. So we'll get we have to after you made that awesome music for the pirate episode. Like now, yes. we're, just, we're obligated to do that another pirate. Yeah. And since Captain <laughs> yeah. McSlugs is in the chat, I guess we'll give him a little shout out too. He it, it was rather low in the background. Maybe I think I'm gonna release an album eventually of all just the spooky soundtracks. I think that'll be something cool to do. Still but Andrew idea. played the. Uh, he actually showed up to the studio. Casher as well. They showed up to help us help me work on the song. We were actually streaming it live on Twitch, and Andrew played the Hurdy Gurdy, which I don't know if people know what that is, but it's like a pirate instrument. Uh, you, I mean, not a pirate instrument, but it's an older instrument, and you would crank this thing and play it. I don't even know how you describe it, like a like a guitar or an accordion. Basically, you hit the notes, and it gives this really unique sound. So you'll hear it right in the beginning of that. But uh, we don't have to go too deep into that. But I do want to give a shout out to those guys for swinging by and uh, helping me create that song. So that's another one to add to the uh, to the repertoire of spooky songs. Something that sets us apart, but yeah, we spent way too much time on that for the uh, three minutes. I think that it played in the video. I was, I was telling you guys to relax on it. Um, no, we, we go one hundred percent. We go one hundred percent, and we don't do it at all. While we're sidetracked, let's just get into it. Um, we had been teasing something for quite a few weeks now, and it became official and got released. Jesse's wearing a Fozzie shirt. And that kind of alludes to what we did. Uh, it hasn't really been released, over. but uh, but yeah. We, well, he if he well the episode hasn't been released, but the news has been released. Basically. The news has been released. Yeah, so we'll be featured on an episode of Talk Is Jericho uh, sometime soon. I don't know when he's actually planning on releasing the episode, but we head down went down to Rhode Island um, on Sunday night, and we were Chris Jericho was in town. We we're pretty close to Rhode Island, so we went down to Providence. He had a Fozzy performance, which is the band that he's in, who absolutely kicked ass. But before the show, we linked up with him, and he invited us to be on the show. So we're going to be on an episode of Talk is Jericho. We talked about a very spooky episode, uh, one that we have already covered, but we went back over it and jumped into a little bit more details. And Chris Jericho kind of went into it blind. His daughters had briefed him on the uh, on the story of this house, and then we kind of jumped into it with him. So he was kind of hearing it from um, from a a blind perspective where he hadn't, uh, he hadn't heard anything about it for the most part. So, which, which was great because he was able to ask questions like as an audience member, he was, he was a great host. Yeah. So super excited about that. We'll, we'll post about it and we'll keep guys, um, we'll keep you guys posted on, on when the episode drops and we'll obviously link it. And, uh, it's going to be a uh, very exciting. So huge shout out to Chris Jericho for helping out. And, and then the concert was awesome. I, I had never really heard too much from this band before. And, um, and Rob, you had, and you're like, no, they're actually they're actually good, and they they put on a hell of a show. Yeah, it was put great. A hell of a show. Drum obviously, host, obviously, the man knows how to perform. <laughs> right, he knows right. how to work a crowd. That's for sure. So it was it was a kick ass show, man. What a good time. What a good what a good weekend we had, huh? 
Yeah, it's pretty good. So let's jump back into some of these ghost stories that are on the island, though. Um, I want to get I, back I, in, into I wanna, a little I bit. I want to argue. About I feel like arguing, yeah. and I want to argue about the axe murders. Yeah, we're going to end the show with that. You want to end it on that? Okay. Yeah, we're going to end on the axe murders, of course. That's how we do that. The axe um, murder debate. Yeah, so let's go back to the first story. You know what happens to lose to who loses the debate. <laughs> the stakes are high. <laughs> go ahead, Rob. I said, let's get back into the tale of Philip Babb, who was the man that went to the island of Appledore Island. They thought that he might be a pirate as well. That was just trying to escape the life and not get arrested for his past crimes. Became like the local town um, constable, the butcher and everything. Nobody liked this dude. He was said to be like this wicked dickhead that just like wandered the island with his butcher's frock on with the um also with the with the knife with the knife and um i told the tales that are still prevalent right now but what i didn't touch on was on appledore island there used to be a gigantic hotel called the appledore house and it was said that he haunted it the entire time that it was there so Guests would go into their rooms, and this is in the 18... It was The Appledore House was built in 1847, and it burned down in 1914. So between that time, guests would go into their room, stuff would be moved, um, and they would hear people walking down the hall. No one would be there. Just all the normal hotel stuff. But these accounts are from 1847 up to 1914, which is, which is crazy. And... There's a couple of names that pop up, and one of them will pop up in a future episode as well. Celia Celia Thaxter was the owner's daughter, and she wrote about some of these ghost stories, and she was telling the tales of Philip Babb. But also, she had many guests that were known, and one of them was Nathaniel Hawthorne. So Nathaniel Hawthorne is uh, synonymous with Salem, Massachusetts, which we'll be doing in the future. And I have some excerpts from his journal if you guys want me to read a couple of those. Absolutely. (coughs) Sorry. Um, So the first excerpt is, last evening, we sat and talked of ghosts and kindred subjects, and they told me of the appearance of a little old woman in a striped gown that had come into the house a few months ago. She was seen by nobody but an Irish nurse who spoke to her but received no answer. The little woman drew her chair up towards the fire and stretched out her feet to warm them. By to warm them um, by and by the nurse, sorry, his writings period piece. So it threw me up by and by the nurse who suspected nothing of her ghostly character went to get a pail of water. And when she came back, the little woman was not there. It mm. being known precisely how many and what people were on the Island and that no such little woman was among them. The fact of her being a ghost is incontestable. Damn. He's Bold. sure. so i've never seen her before she is 100 a ghost (laughs) yeah (laughs) so what he basically what they were saying is they knew exactly who was on this island Mm -hmm. they knew every single person because as we get into the smutty nose stuff later like these islands are so small you know who's on the island with you for the most part it's like almost impossible not to yeah and then it i mean a lot of times there were very few people on the island and you know when they're coming in or out because they have to come in by boat Right, and there's, I think at all of them, there's one port. So it's like they, if they showed up on the dock, they're going to be there. If not, then it's a stowaway that's been there for I don't know how long, and that seems unlikely. So that is that is pretty cool. I didn't know that Hawthorne was a believer 
in the ghosts, but that definitely makes things interesting for future episodes for sure when we cover uh, Salem. So another small excerpt from the same journal entry. Um, it's He goes, Old Bab, the ghost has a ring around his neck and is supposed to either have been hung or to have, or to have had his throat cut, but he steadfastly declines telling the mode of his death. There is a luminous appearance about him as he walks, and his face is pale and very dreadful. That's Holy shit. A pirate. That's a pirate ghost. Yeah, so that's, that's Philip Babb. And so that's telling you that he was murdered or hung, or like something happened to him. Like, around the neck. Yeah, around the neck. And I didn't read anything else about that, but that's from Nathaniel Hawthorne's journal. So I found those very interesting. I found those after the fact. And I wouldn't have included them just because I didn't. I don't know how I well, Maybe I would have. But I, I just found reading the actual journal of Nathaniel Hawthorne and having these conversations with Celia Thaxter, very interesting and um, a great addition to the, to the story of the Appledore Island. Um, the only other thing about Appledore that I know of is now it's supposedly home of a cult, but I can't find much information on that at all. That's heartwarming. <laughs> yeah. There might be a secret cult, and it might be intentional that you can't find any information on them. Well, that's the thing, yeah. So, so you're um, saying it's the Freemasons? It always is. It always comes <laughs> back to that, doesn't it? Demon worshippers, yes, of course. All right, so let's talk about the uh, let's talk about the juicy story here. The uh, oh, there's yeah, some other uh, some other little come stuff. Come on, right. we got some other stuff. So uh, next door to the Smutty Nose Island is the Star Island, and this island is the home of a couple ghost stories. Also, so they're both tragic. I guess all ghost stories start with a tragedy, technically, um, like about 100% of them. Uh, but one of them, there was an elderly couple, and they lived on um, Star Island. Star Island, thank you. And they were both sick, and they had a suicide pact, which um, don't commit suicide if you are thinking about it. Don't do that. Reach out I, to somebody. But, um, but I'm going to say I mean, that for like an old, an old, older couple, and they're both couple, sick. They're both sick, and they both have a suicide pact. They're going to take some medication and die in bed peacefully, holding hands. And that was their plan. That's what they decided to do, and they did it. Except the husband died, and the wife did not. Um, which we have to assume was an accident. Um, I haven't heard anything or read anything that suggests that she straight up just didn't take them and was like, nah, I'm not doing this. Um, but the ghost story is now the husband um, haunts the island. And the, uh, the theory is that he is just wandering around looking for his wife, wondering why she's not with him. So I've also heard that both of them haunt the island and maybe they did find each other in the afterlife. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think they're both dead now, anyways. But initially, when he was dead and she was not, that was the original story. So yeah, maybe she's since- definitely tough to hunt hunt the island when you're not dead yet. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Might For be sure. possible. Depends <laughs> on the person. We don't make the rules. <laughs> yeah. So um, the other ghost that haunts the island is Miss Nancy J. Underhill, who was a school teacher, and I believe this was in the 1940s. I think and. She used to have this rock formation out in the water that she it was this perfect location that she would go out and she would sit on and read her books, read the Bible, whatever. She was just that was like her quiet space um, that she would hang out in. And one day um, a younger gentleman was out there and saw her. And the next thing that happened was he ran into town saying that 
the poor woman had just fallen into the ocean and was swept away and nobody ever saw her again. So uh, that was the end of poor Miss Nancy J. Underhill, at least while she lived, but she now haunts the island. And there was a little bit of conspiracy um, that it was a little, con- not, not about convenient, but it was- That sounds uh, sound straight up like murder to me. It sounds like straight up murder, but I think the weird thing is it would have to be like a completely random murder because apparently they had no uh, relation to each other. Weird Sometimes that's how murder happens. Go ahead. There's a weird tie-in with this woman. So she, not to this story, but she uh, comes from the Underhill family, and the Underhill was a family of um, blacksmiths, and they made axes. Um, and they, the family, this, the family blacksmith company dates back to the 1800s. They made the axe that was used in the double murder, and they also made the axe that was used. The company also made the axe that was used in the Lizzie Borden murder. Oh. Which was right around the same time as, is that what you just said? Was it? Did they make the same axe? They made both axes. The axes okay, were not okay. the same axe. Well, I would not know. I'm not saying they had the same axe, but I, I think these these murders, like the double murder and then the Lizzie Borden axe murder, I believe they were right around the same time. What year was the Lizzie Borden murder? Anybody know off the top of their heads? Off I think of it was head. 1890s. I think. What was the other one? 1893. 1892. So not too far from. Yeah, Smutty Nose is 1873. Yeah, so those are pretty yeah, close. So 20 years, yeah. 20 years off. But the, there was a it was a blacksmith company that was around for decades. Right. Um, so they they made plenty of axes, and both of those axes were were used. Great for uh, murder. Great for murder. <laughs> so Pac-Man Frog says the lady reading on the rock sounds fun. Other than that, other than the fact that she was swept out to sea and the dead part. <laughs> <laughs> There's another story I was thinking about covering, which was like another lighthouse story, where it was the same kind of thing, where a bunch of guys went missing, and one of the theories is they were just swept out to sea by a rogue wave. So I guess these rogue waves are are something that can absolutely, um, absolutely happen. So. That's uh, but I mean, she's pretty familiar with that rock. I don't know. That just that sounded too convenient to to not be murder. Yeah, it's just weird that it would have to be a random one. So I guess I forgot the dude just felt like killing someone. I guess. Stephanie said, "Haunted axes." Now I have something else to fear. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you should probably already be afraid of axes a little bit. Like just you know, have a healthy pointy objects in general. Yeah, yeah, just kind of. Uh, did you have any other stuff that any other stories, Dave? No, those were the two that I found that I thought were exciting. Do you have anything else, Jesse, or are we going to get into the main event where me and Dave yell at each other? I'm ready to rock. Let's debate. All first right. So ever, first ever hometown ghost stories debate. Let's rock. Um, no, me and Dave debate quite frequently on the horror movie reviews. That's true. Uh, we did have tech, by the way, we had technical difficulties with that one. We will be reposting that. So, um, yeah. anyways, you can see it on Patreon. No, you can't. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, these, these, these are the bonuses you get by signing up on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Anyways, the Smutty Nose Axe Murders, which is an absolutely crazy story. We covered it in the main part of the episode. But basically, this family takes this guy in. They, He's all down on his luck. They help him out. They... They feed him. They give him, you know, a job for a few years. He decides to go out on his own. It goes miserably. And the first thing he turns to is like, I'm going to go rob the people that I, you know, that just took me in for all this time and made sure I was, 
I was fed and sheltered and everything and uh, goes to the house. I don't know if it sounds like he didn't really have a plan when he went there. He was just trying to rob the house, but he knew who was going to be there. So he like picks up a chair, starts hitting Karen, who was sleeping like in the kitchen part. What? <laughs> like, what's a, why is she sleeping in the kitchen? They had a wild. It's a small time. house. Have you seen? Have you seen the island? The house was tiny. There was five of them living there. I think there was only one or two bedrooms at the most. Um, so they must have like a little bed set up in the kitchen. Yeah. So they had this like, <laughs> like small, small under house. the kitchen table or something. Right. <laughs> so. So he hits her with a chair and just to start to get into some of the, some of the uh, theories about the murder is when he walked in the house, Karen thought that it was John, the husband, but here's the deal. They're expecting the husbands to come back at some point. So John's supposed to be coming back. It's middle of the night. A guy walks into the house on an island. It's not like he are there on like a regular road. You would you would assume it's the guy that you're waiting for, right? If you're just seeing a shadow of a man. So right. when she says John when he comes in the house and then she gets hit and then I think she said, "Lewis, what are you doing?" or something like that supposedly according to Marin. Yeah, from what I was reading about it, it was I mean, that's pretty much spot on. Was yeah. he now I heard he so he ran into the crew. Real quick, to answer the question that was asked, uh, fifteen dollars in that time period would have been worth three hundred and twenty-four dollars and eighty-seven cents today. But he had no idea how much money was in the house. He was right. just assuming these guys are are have, killing it with their fishing business. I'm going to go take all that money. Mm-hmm. All right, let's clear up a couple of things. So, first of all, I don't think it's a net, and I that made me uncomfortable. I think it's a net, and I know it has an H in it. It's pronounced, so she's no, she's from Norway, so it's probably like this or something like that. Uh, they pronounce things. All, right. it's probably all, not could, all, all I could think of was the movie The Other Guys when that guy is calling his wife Christina. Christina. Every time Rob said Aneth, I'm like, oh, it's Christina. You come back here, you make love to my wife. <laughs> Her name is Aneth. Anyways, um, it, it's Brabra. B-R-A-H-B-R-A-H. <laughs> anyway, let's get that out of the way. So uh, <laughs> there was there was uh, Annette. Yeah. Or or Aneth, if you will. Um mm-hmm. anyways, but just let's go back to the fishing story. So this guy Lewis, uh, he worked for these people, obviously. You already went over that. But I so one of the one of the things I heard was that when he went back to or when the crew arrived on shore to go uh set their uh bait or whatever they ran into him and they were like, Hey, do you want to make some cash and help us out tonight? And he's like, yeah, sure. I, I'll, I'll be back and I'll, I'll, I'll be back to help you guys out. And then that's when he realized that they were going to be setting their bait like for the entire night. And they had no intentions of ever making it back on time. So I think when they, they had asked to hire him and he said yes. And then he, f- he fled, apparently stole a rowboat. And there is some debate on whether or not he could have made this journey. So on uh, that point, he had a crippling case of rheumatoid arthritis. So this was in March, right? Was it March? Yeah, March. In yeah. Maine, cold. which is ice cold, mm-hmm. rheumatoid arthritis in a rowboat rowing. How far was it? 12 miles. 12 yeah. miles. Do you so which he had done multiple times. Before. In a whaling boat, not a rowboat. No, in a rowboat. No, it was, he was. He said they in court the court case. They said that he they proved that he had done the trip multiple times in a whaling boat. This was done in a rowboat. You're a whaling boat. I am a whaling boat. 
I am. These guys weren't fishing out of rowboats. They were fishing. These were, they were at the time commercial fishermen. They were out in commercial whalers or what those were at the time, which you're not rowing those boats. He was not a, a row. He was not a rower. That's not what he was. And the guy had rheumatoid arthritis. He wasn't making that trip and not in that amount of time. Anyways, number two, you have um, Marin, three women there, right? Marin, Karen, and NAF. It's pronounced Marith, Karath, and NF. Two of them are beaten, hacked up with an axe, strangled, and brutalized, and Marin walks out of there without a scratch on her. Or you think she's the killer? I think she's the killer. It's a theory. It's, it was tossed around. And it's, I think I, it's, a, I think it's, it's more, and there was a deathbed confession. She allegedly, there was a couple, multiple reportings. That okay. She yeah. Those, 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 those reports came up before she died. It's tough to make a deathbed confession when you're not dead yet. Uh, you, 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 you literally have to make it when you're not dead. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. It's Jessup. <laughs> right. She could have been, okay. She could have been uh, on her deathbed thinking she was dying, confessed, and then didn't end up dying. There are people or, who are terminally yeah. ill all the time that that get better unexpectedly. Maybe not all the time. Probably not as many as uh, would wish that they got better. But um, yeah, so you, I think you take all of those things and you put them together and you say, for me, it, it makes more the most sense that she was the killer. And there's another theory that John was the killer. I don't think that makes any sense because the husband of Annette was with him. And when he came back and found her, he was devastated and went back to Norway and just nobody ever heard from him again. Right. So there's no way that John was going to get out of there and go kill them if the husband, if, you know. Yeah, Ivan, yeah. Ivan so, so yeah, him. yeah. the guy fleeing the country and never being heard from again definitely isn't a little bit of a warning sign that maybe he's guilty of something. But who knows? No, I, I don't think it was John. But if it no, was John's John, not, John's not the one that flew. No, the Ivan did. Ivan, uh, did. Ivan moved away, and it wasn't right away. He he stayed and worked for a couple months or something like that, and then he went mm-hmm. back. Yeah, I don't think it was John or Ivan. I mean, those guys would have been either they were all in on it, or neither of them were in on it. Because if I mean they were fishing all night, if John disappeared for a few hours, Ivan probably would have had some questions like, "Hey, did you just go murder our families?" So there, there's that. Uh, and then there was a couple. Yeah. So the, the, there's, there's a few conspiracy theories that float around. Uh, I think the, the crazier, there's so many crazy things in the story, but I think one of the craziest things that you did mention really quickly is that this fucking guy broke out of jail, like <laughs> right after he was, yeah. uh, right after he was caught, but he's also an idiot. Cause I, I believe the way he got caught in the first place was he went back and he went to Boston. He went to the North end where he used to, I don't know if he lived there, but he had a bunch of friends there and everybody knew him around town. And um, he got to the North end. He had, he had spent that $15, which would you say Dave was around 300 bucks. Yeah. So he had bought a suit. He had bought uh, he got a haircut, shaved off his beard. He put his new suit over his murder clothes, by the way, never took the murder clothes off. So when he got a, when they eventually caught up with him in the North end, because everyone's like, Hey, he's here. Lewis is here. Welcome back. Lewis turns out he's a wanted man. They're like, Oh yeah, Lewis is here. I heard the story was he ditched the murder clothes and changed the new suit. I heard on every source that I looked at, he wore, was wearing the new suit over the murder clothes, but maybe, maybe those sources are wrong. Sometimes they are, but yeah. Anyways, so two stupid things. Number one is if he was wearing the murder clothes underneath his suit. First of all, that sounds uncomfortable. Second so of all, the court. I don't think he was wearing the clothes. I I read about the court case, and the court case said that the 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 main contributing um, 
evidence that led to his conviction was the testimony from Marin. And there was ultimately nothing else except for like he spent the $15. He had $15 and there was $15 missing. That would get tossed out of every court nowadays as the most circumstantial evidence. That means absolutely nothing. Especially if it's actually $15. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and now in this guy's defense, if he is innocent and he just went out and bought a suit in his hometown of North End Boston, he's not an idiot. He's just <laughs> buying a suit. <laughs> True. Every criminologist that has studied this case believes that it was Lewis and that they got the right guy based on all the evidence. They're, they're, they're jumping to conclusions. So you're I wrong, think. Dave. Is I mean, that's my argument. You're wrong. Um, Lewis killed him. The, not, a great, the only, not, a, not a great argument, but the only the only evidence that I will give you, like additional evidence for you, is when we're showing that that island at the end of the um, the pre recorded part. I was watching it. I'm like, where the hell did she hide? Apparently, it's behind a rock. I, I understand that, but like, if you're really looking for somebody on that island, and I know it's, I understand it's nighttime. There's no flashlights. Yeah. It it feels like you should be able to find them, and it's not just her. She's with her dog. Um, right. Oh, by the way, maybe the dog makes some noise. If the if the story's real, the dog tried to warn the women in the house, and then the dog was super quiet when they were escaping. That is the best dog of all time. That's a good. That's a that's a good boy. But that, you know, or nothing. Or that, none of it happened that way. That doesn't well, make sense. Well, you also think ha- that Lewis hacking the family. Right. Right. The Lewis lived at the house. Him. Lewis lived at the house for a while, so the dog knew him. So I think it would have been less of like an alarming, like there's an intruder, and more like, "Hey, is he, where was his back?" You know. So you know when it, when a dog recognizes someone, eating it's, the it's, owner with a chair. Nah, they're just horsing around. <laughs> no, uh, but <laughs> I guess in, in, in theory, if uh, w- which one was the murderer, Miriam? Marin. Oh, Merith. So Merith probably one of the theories is it was freezing outside. Uh, she wasn't even wearing shoes and socks. So after she murdered everyone, she escaped with the dog. But uh, I'm kidding. I got I to stop conflating the two stories. But when she was running away from from Lewis, sorry, Lewis. Uh, oh my god! <laughs> the fact that she took the dog actually might have saved her life if she was innocent and if she was actually out in the cold all night because the body heat from the dog and the body you you know that huddling with the dog could have saved both of them from hypothermia. So a little survival tip for you there. There is. I just think it's so so suspicious that two of them were beat brutally, like ruthlessly. And the third one, not a scratch. Just come on. That's wacky. Why do you just kept happening to be in this, the right place, the right time. The more I think about it, the more it points to, how do you know she didn't have a scratch? He never hit her. There knows nothing. The stories, it's her, her own story. She's, she, yeah, well, the story is, yeah, but she's still like slamming that door closed to hold it, to hold it closed from him. She's jumping out a window. She's running down the, the beach, the rocky when I beach. Say, okay, I'm sure she got scratches on her feet from running. I mean, that she right, wasn't so hit, you've just been debunked. Or she, she got scratches on her by the, she could have she, gotten scratches on her feet from murdering everyone, too. She could have, yeah. Yeah. Um, from her victims. Mm. Anyways. Lewis was the killer. Like it's, it definitely was him based on all the evidence based on the fact that the courts never got shit wrong back then. No, never. Never. (laughs) Hey, what are the odds? odds, Like a a very young Velisca ax murderer got, got this. So I, I do. Do you know how bad I wanted to tie that case into this? But um, let's, I want to ask a question while we continue to talk about this. I have a bonus ax murder case to talk about right now. If 
the chat wants it. It ties into this. So if the chat wants it, if people say they want it, we'll get into it. Um, Our debate really isn't going well. Everybody, everybody wait. Yeah. No, well, we can keep debating (laughs) about this because Marin, what was the reasoning? Like we, we have no motive. $15. We don't know of a motive. It's her $15. She's (laughs) killing for her own money. (laughs) Maybe someone tried to take her $15. I don't know. No, Uh, there was no $15 because the house was empty because Lewis was never there. So Lewis's $15 was his own. There was never $15 in the house. She just made that up. Or she heard that he spent $15 and was like, that was the $15 that he I don't stole think, I don't think I don't think word's getting back from Boston that Lewis bought a suit. <laughs> but anyways, we can move on from that. People all want to hear about your axe murder. All right. So. Well, we'll talk about this next axe murder. But while I start to tell it in the chat, tell us who you think was the murderer. Was it Marin or was it um, Lewis? Lewis. All right. So... What we're um, asking is, did Dave or Rob make a more compelling case? Because <laughs> you know I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Karen so, and Marin were sisters. And Annette was a sister-in-law. Yes. Um, so, do you guys remember in the video, I showed a picture of Lewis. Um, they put up a like a almost like a wanted looking poster, but it was like an in memoriam poster. Was it the one with him with the crazy eyes? Yeah. With the crazy eyes, but there's another man in that picture, right? There was. Yep. Okay. Well, that man's name is John true Gordon. Okay. So he was also, um, sentenced to death the same day as, as Lewis was. And here's the story of what John true Gordon did. So John true Gordon, um, Basically, it was kind of a, a screw up for his life. Um, his family didn't like him as much as they liked his brother, Allman. They left the farm and everything to Allman, uh, which John was not happy about. And So you're saying he was the Allman brother? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, this show is getting ruined. But anyways, um, Allman had a wife, Emma. And so they're married. And John is staying at their home with them. And while John's staying there, he gets engaged to a woman. Emma starts writing letters to the woman that he's engaged to, basically talking shit about John. Um, She's doing it under a a pseudo pen name. John gets the letters looked at and verifies that it's his sister-in-law writing to his, to his fiance, telling him, telling her not to marry him. He's heard saying to some of the people, some people around him, like, you know, it's either me or Almond and his family are going to go soon. So one night, a worker at the Almond farm, um, Almond Gordon's farm, uh, is woken by the smell of smoke and fire and his child waking him up. So he goes to investigate. He runs to Almond's room where he finds Almond his wife and their 17 month old daughter with all of their heads caved in. He also has a son, Ira that's laying in bed that looks dead as well. So it turns out that Ira is not dead though. He, he lives and it's just panics ensuing. The house is on fire. There's people with smash heads. They find out that it's an ax. So this is another ax murder similar to Velisca, but it's too early for them to be connected. Um, so they find these dead bodies and the house is on fire 
And instead of John being upset about his family being dead, he wants everybody to save the furniture. So he's, he's telling people like, no, no, save the furniture. We need the furniture. We need all, we need everything that we can save from the house to save it as the house, as the house is burning. He knows his family's dead. He knows everyone's dead. So he ends up getting arrested. Of course, they find him guilty and he's the man that's in the, in the in memoriam poster with Lewis and the night before he is set to be executed with Lewis because they were executed at the same time. Right. He uh, has two friends come and visit him at jail and one of them slips him a knife and John takes this knife and he stabs himself in the chest with it. And they think it was just short enough before it penetrated his heart. So he's just bleeding out in the jail cell when they find him in the morning. Um, guess what they didn't do? They didn't stop his execution. I was going to say they hung him anyway, didn't they? <laughs> so they drag, done. Yeah. So they start dragging his body um, to to the gallows, and they're dragging his Gordy, his body. Well, Lewis is walking next to him, and as soon as Lewis sees him, he goes, "Poor Gordon, poor Gordon, you are gone." Because the man's unconscious. They're dragging this unconscious body that's bleeding out to the gallows to be hung. And I have a newspaper quote from it, if you guys would like to hear it. And um, newspaper quote goes, those who saw the measurable wretch Gordon upon that trap will always remember it. That ghastly face with the bright sun showing up its hideousness, the deep groans, the bloody lint form held up by the officers, made up of a picture of such utter horror and despair as it is rarely seen ever in the fiercest conflicts of war which is a crazy quote. And I was wrestling with telling the story because I kind of want to cover it later. If there is any ghost stories attached to it, I'm not sure, but they were um, so much better at word. That story was in the so much better. Was that story in the Velisco book? Yeah, definitely. Because there was that—that that was the one with the house fire, right? Yeah. So, well, there was many house fires. This was in 1873, though. So I don't think it was. I in think the it's Velisco. one that they talked about and said it was unlikely. Uh, but I remember this one because it was okay. presumed after the fact that that guy was actually innocent, just like Lewis, who they're both executed on the same day. Yeah. But uh, they, uh, yeah, I think they did because he was he was freaking out about the furniture. The, there was the, he wanted to save the furniture from the fire. That they, they mm-hmm. talked about that in the book. Okay, um, I don't remember that particular story from the book, but there was a lot of stories in that book. So I was I I had to look into him as I was pulled up that that picture. I'm like, I at least need to know who this man is. And then I read the story about it in there, and I'm just like, holy shit. Like, this is a whole other story I can cover. So, innocent, just like Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> so, that story is, uh, that story is pretty wild. And, and I was alluding to it at the end there, like the way that they described that afterwards, like they write, they used to write so much like elegantly and darker than that. Now that like the news clipping would just be like, this shit was whack. Yeah. <laughs> like, Took I was thinking that too. They did talk so they talk so uh, like proper cryptic. back then. Yeah, cryptic and proper. Yeah, yeah. So I just thought that maybe adding that story would be a little fun. You know, it would be. It, it's turned out that I I cover axe murders. So yeah, I am doing all the axe murder stories from now on. It's just the thing. If we have one, it goes to me. So deal, deal, deal. Just like um, Dave is. Dave is all about the Warrens. Yep, slightly, slightly more. We almost got Dave through a whole episode without mentioning him. Come on, I Rob. didn't mention him. I didn't mention him. <laughs> and, and, and Jesse covers the big cities. It's like we all kind of have our own things going on. Yeah, now. That's right. Happen. 
So yeah, I need this. I need a cooler gimmick. Anyways, so that is uh, the Isles of Shoals. Isles of Shoals. Little axe murder for you. Who do you think was guilty? Me, I, I, I you know, I started I out this episode and I'm like, it's Lewis. And now at the end of it, Dave, I'm with you. So that means I win by two, two votes. On this, he, from the guy that can't pronounce any of the people's names in the story. No, he can't. He can't choose <laughs> them. He chooses not. To. He can't pronounce them. He chooses not to pronounce them. It's Christine. <laughs> so yeah, it was definitely Lewis. Uh, I was the curator of this episode, so as the curator, I get final say. Right. And that's it reasonable. Was, and it was Lewis. Lewis did it. Perfect. And that's where we're going. Let's drop it in the comments below. That's what the YouTubers say, right? Drop it in the comments below. Let us know who you think committed the murder. I think uh, I think I am on the side of uh, of Lewis being innocent. I think he's an innocent man. Another one, another innocent man goes down. <laughs> so, do we want to get into some of this week's reviews that we got? Yeah, yeah. Pull them up. In the meantime, uh, this week we're going to cover the Hex Hollow murders down in Pennsylvania. I think it's like our nineteenth episode in Pennsylvania, but we had to go back. This one is a pretty oh, wild story. Yeah, Pennsylvania. It's another Pennsylvania one. I'm sorry. Guess what's coming Why? next? You got, you got a little Pennsylvania episode. Oh, no. Uh, the demon of Brownsville Road in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. <clears throat> That's a big city. I should have that one to me. I know, right? Mm. Oh, well. And then I'm actually, actually I'm three quarters of the way through this book, and I'm not even sure if I like the story or not. So we might end up with another like Bill Airhouse type episode <laughs> where I tell the story and then rip it to pieces in the... When after. are you guys doing Savannah? So to be uh, quite a few requests for this city. Yeah. So honestly, Savannah is going to be what I start looking into tomorrow. I know some of the stories. I just need to figure out the angle I want to take on it, which stories I want to cover first. I don't think it's going to be a one part thing. So I'm going to start looking at Savannah, Georgia tomorrow. Rob uh, Casher asked if uh, we want to take a road trip to Pennsylvania. That's not out of the question. It's Although not. I will say the um, the Hex Hollow House is not a very inviting atmosphere. There's a relative of the man who's there. Pittsburgh. I like Pittsburgh. It's Pittsburgh. I've never been. I just traveled the city. I've never I've been. been to the um, outside of Pittsburgh is terrifying. <laughs> like the road. That's I sent you guys a picture of that strip club that I drove by. That's about the size of my living room. Do you remember that? Gilbert says, thanks, I'm from here. This is about to start happening. Whenever we mention a city that Dave's not relatively interested in visiting, he shits all over it. And this is, this is what's going to happen eventually as we continue to grow. I, I love, so I love Pittsburgh as a city. It's, it was one of my favorite cities that I visited. I like, it's a smaller city, but it was really inviting. The, so much butter. <laughs> Uh-huh. Cash, Cash is mentioning that as Dave doesn't read the actual comment. Yeah. Uh, that there's so many Amish people, there's so much butter down in <laughs> Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, we're in. Um, all right, let's read some of these reviews. So, this one's from DC Looney. It says it's titled Absolutely Amazing and Authentic. Uh, I absolutely love and care deeply for the authenticity of this show. You guys always know how to tell the entire story and not talk only about the scary story parts, but also discuss the skeptical part as well. As a guy with a few paranormal experiences of my own, it truly makes me so interesting, interested and amazed with the hometown ghost stories. Definitely in my top 10 podcasts and live streams on a global scale. Keep up the awesome work and happy hunting. Hell yeah. So we got that one and we have one more and it's titled Best Podcast Ever, which when I read that, I still get like, I'm just like, wow, us. But, you know, it's awesome. Thank you. This is from Sunday. Um I only recently discovered your podcast and I'm already caught up. I love the storytelling and the discussion afterward. It's great. You guys terrify me and make me laugh all in the same show. I've had my share 
of paranormal experiences here in Bloomington Springs, Tennessee. Don't worry, nobody else has heard of it either. And maybe someday I can share some of those. Keep this show going. I love it. Ah, oh, man, that was heartwarming. Great. Yeah. Very good stuff. Uh, so, Rob, is Savannah your tentative plan, or do you actually have an episode planned out for uh, two weeks from now? No, Savannah's my plan. I I was going to – this week was actually going to be Savannah, to be honest with you. And then I got a request for the Isles of Shoals, and I looked into it, and I saw the pirate story and the axe murder story. And I was like, I kind of want to do this. So Hell yeah. And I wanted to do something that was away from, we've hit some big towns and some big stories if it wasn't a big town. I wanted to do something a little off the grid for this week. It definitely was. I had never heard of it, and there also wasn't many podcasts on it. So I had to do some exploring on the uh, the web. But that's a good thing. So we'll have one of the only ones. But uh, once again, nice work on the video and the episode there, Rob. We'll be back next week with another episode of Hometown Ghost Stories. Again, if you want to support the show, just leave a little review on iTunes, and we'll read it out at the end of the show. Anything else there, gentlemen? Friday, Cursed Object episode. Sham Salma Arif, The Cursed Book. The Cursed From. Book. So, new Cursed Object episode. Pretty horrifying stuff, but we'll, uh, we'll save that for the episode. Yes. Anyways, uh, once again, thanks, thanks to everyone. Uh, Cash wants to hear the pirate music again. I don't have it queued up, but we will uh, we will definitely play that in uh, future episodes. We're gonna do. I'm specifically just gonna do exclusively pirate episodes from now on because all <laughs> I want to do is actually get my <laughs> my bang for my buck on that one. Uh, again, uh, keep we'll keep you guys posted when the uh, Chris Jericho episode is gonna come out. The episode of Taco Jericho that we were featured on. Very excited for that to drop and see what people think of it. Yep. And um, shout out to Fozzie and, and all the uh, people that dropped in. I saw we had a couple of Fozzie fans in on YouTube, which is pretty cool. So that's it, gentlemen. That's it. That's we'll it. See you next week. See you next week. Later. <laughs>